If you have your Bibles with you, or I'll even have to say today, if you have your iPhones or whatever it is that you're using as a Bible, Lord have mercy on you for doing that. But uh, if you have it, turn it to the 47th Psalm. And that's the, that's the, the passage we're going to be looking at today. And I, I find it interesting that this 47th Psalm comes on the hills of Psalm 46, that makes sense, doesn't it? But it's the context of how Psalms 46 was laid out. And just to, just to kind of read the last few verses in 46, he says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. And then it ends with the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then he then Psalm 47. Now I realize these are separate psalms, but I just find this amazing. And then he says this. He says, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to, the, to God with loud songs of joy. I want you to, to keep in mind that when these psalms were written, they were written in the context that this psalm is actually not a psalm of David. This is a psalm that is attributed to the sons of Korah. But just look at what they wrote. They said, clap your hands, all peoples. It wasn't just for the Jews. Now, you, now some people could say, well, he's talking about all the Jews. Every one of you, clap your hands. But I think he's saying this. I think he's saying, all peoples, clap your hands. He says, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Folks, I pray that the day comes that it, it is so much deeply inside us what our God has done for us and in us and who our God is. I mean, I know that we know these things so much of the time on a, on a head knowledge. And I believe that God has brought it into our hearts to a certain point. But, but brethren, I don't think we've ever sang the way this psalm is telling us to sing. Now, you might have. But quite possibly, if you did, you were alone in your house, in the shower, with the cassette playing in a song of worship, and you're singing with all your might, you're driving down the road. But God help us that we would ever act like that in the presence of each other, right? You know, we're, we're letting it all out. And really, I think that's what our, our God, our Father, wants from us. I think He wants us to sing and rejoice with such force and might of joy. And then he says this, he says in verse 2, he says, For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Now here's, here's where we're, we're getting in just what we're talking about this morning. He, he is Yahweh Elyon. He is the Lord Most High. I mean, there, listen, there is no name above his name. He is preeminent over everything, over everyone, 
anything that you could ever possibly think. No matter what. I mean, my goodness. Oh, it would be great to see America rebound from things we've been going through. But make no mistake. I don't care who's in the presidency. And I don't care how great they may have been or may be. The Lord our God is most high, not even to be compared. Listen, when he says this, I don't think there's probably a better, a better passage, a better thing that we could read. If, if, you got, if you're a quick turner, turn with me to Daniel. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 4, and I want to read something to you. Nebuchadnezzar is, is the king... And, and, and he has taken Israel captive. And, and, and Daniel is, is one of the prisoners here. And they have discovered that Daniel, God uses Daniel to interpret dreams, okay? So Nebuchadnezzar, in chapter 4, and beginning in, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, it says, To all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, he says, Peace be multiplied to you. And he said, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. This is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony about our God. And he refers to him as the most High God, which is incredible when you're dealing with the kings back then. So many of the kings back then referred to themselves as gods in their own right. But what happened was, and I'm not going to read the whole thing for time's sake, but Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed a dream and it troubled him. None of, none of the interpreters could, could tell him what it was. So he calls in Daniel and he tells him the dream. And he talks about this, this great tree that, you know... So many was under its shade. There was in its branches. And it was this great and awesome, mighty tree. And then it was cut down and there was a stump remaining. And it troubled him. And when Daniel was asked to interpret, he was troubled. And Nebuchadnezzar says, don't hold back from me, Daniel. Tell me what it means. And he says, basically, this tree was you. This is your kingdom. But basically, he's saying, you're exalted. You take credit for everything and God's going to bring you down. And Daniel tells him, he says, King, right now is the time to turn to repent. He says, don't, don't let this happen. I mean, Daniel, think about that. Think about honoring rulers. Daniel is in captivity. Was, was Nebuchadnezzar Babylon or Assyrian? Anybody know that's right offhand? It's one of those two, and it's silly that I don't know that right at this point. Babylon. Nate says Babylon, so I'm going with it. Here's the thing. This was a wicked ruler, okay? He was cruel. He did horrible things to other nations. And Daniel's saying, King, turn from this so that this doesn't come to pass upon you. And 12 months from the time that Daniel told him that, it says, in, all this, in verse 28, it says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. It says, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Yeah, okay, here we go. And the king answered and said, 
It's not this great Babylon. Listen, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. He's saying, it's not this everything that's happened. Is this not what I've done? I mean, there's so many people that think they've built businesses. They've built churches. They've built nations. They, they take credit for all these things. But listen, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men. He ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. This Nebuchadnezzar who believed that by his might, everything about him had built this great kingdom, in a moment the Lord Most High struck him down. Nebuchadnezzar, for this seven periods, and people will say, was this seven years? Was it, you know, I don't know. I don't know how long it was. I, I, I just tend to think of it as years. I'm not going to die on that hill because he could have simply said seven years. But whatever it was, it was long enough for Nebuchadnezzar to be out in the fields eating grass like a cow that his hair on his body grew to the point that he was covered in it, and his nails grew to the point that his fingernails had grown like they would look like bird's claws. I mean, I can only imagine when people would come to this great Babylon, and they would look out there and see a freak out there in the field. Who is that? Well, that's our king. He's lost his mind. You know, we've talked before about the most dreadful thing that can happen is when God shows up. That's the most feared thing is when God actually shows up. And God spoke to this Nebuchadnezzar. Now listen to this, though. Here's Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. He says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. And praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His dominion was not like Nebuchadnezzar's that lasted for a time. His is one without end. It doesn't even have a beginning to it. It's from everlasting to everlasting. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is coming from a man who went for seven periods of time like a wild beast with a, a mind that was not nowhere near that of a man and he says, no one can question the Lord Most High. At the same time, my reason returned to me, 
and for the glory of my kingdom and my majesty and splendor return to me. He's saying my, but how did he get that? Because the God, the Lord Most High, is the one who gave that to him. And he says, my counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That, friends, is a warning. Don't ever think that your business, your abilities, your creativeness, your church, your whatever, don't ever fall into the lie that because of my abilities, because of my intelligence, my strength, my might, whatever, that I was able to do this. If you're able to do anything, it is because the Lord Most High has brought favor to you because he has placed you in a position of that. This is why I want to warn so many people about even when we have favorite preachers. We are so much in danger of idolatry with our preachers that we like. Do you see that? They're only in those places because God has put them on a platform. And God can very quickly take them from there. God, church, our God is the Lord, the Most High. He is to be feared. This word feared is not like a terror. It, the translation in almost all the Bibles, it doesn't really bring it out. It is, it is more along the lines. It's not fear. This, in some translation, it says terror. Um, some of them it says he is awesome. Well, what this is saying is, it is not, he is not to be like, like we're to be terrified in this sense, but in this sense, it is that we would rever him, that we would give him praise and reverence and honor and glory, all of these things in an excited, worshiping way. And he is a great king over all the earth. He, when it's talking about a great king, it's not just, it's not just meaning like a great king among many great kings is no he he is the only great king and his kingdom is not a regional kingdom he is a great king over all the earth and look what it says about him he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet now if if you're talking in the context of the writers here in Israel I mean, I want you to think about this. He's, he's going to take them from Egypt. The children of Israel, he's going to take them out of Egypt. He's going to defeat the Egyptians. He's going to lead them into Canaan. He, he's going to, let's see, he's going to subdue the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. He's going to put all of these people under his very own people. And so you can see Israel singing and praising and saying, The Lord, our God, the Lord Most High. He has subdued peoples under us. He has brought nations under our feet. I mean, when you look at the, the kings and everything, that when they set up from, from David on, I mean, 
all of these nations were under them. Now, we know that when Israel would turn and they would start worshiping other gods, there were times like over there in Daniel where God would use a nation to discipline them. They would take them under bondage for a time, but, but it was always God who subdued the peoples for them. It was always God who put those nations under his feet. Now, what, what about us, though? What about us in, in this age, the church? How does this play out? Well, it plays out like this. When Jesus, at the end of his earthly ministry, he gives a commission. It's called the Great Commission. And it's incredible. He said, you're to go out into all the world. You're to preach the gospel to every creature. You're to go into all nations. You're to make disciples. You're to go and, and, teach, and make disciples and, and, and to teach and to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm with you always. When God's people are going out in this time, from the time that, the, that he, his ascension to now, God is bringing peoples. He is subduing peoples from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue. He is putting people under our feet in the sense that we come to Christ through the preaching of the gospel. And we are under His feet. He is our Lord. He is our head. He is the Lord Most High. He says He chose our heritage for us. The pride of Jacob, whom He loves. When He talks about He chose our heritage, well, when Israel would speak of that, They would speak of the land. And you go way back to Abraham and God said, Abram, I'm going to give you all this land. I'm going to give it to your offspring. I mean, it was theirs. God had gave it to them. And so when you're you're Israelites looking at this psalm in that day, they're talking about the pride of Jacob. They're talking about the land that God had given to them. And they had went in and they had didn't have to build cities or anything in all these nations that God was going to punish for all their wickedness. God brought his people in and subdued them people, put those nations under their feet. He gave them that land. What about us? Well, in Psalms 2.8, it says this, speaking of the father to the son, he says, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth, your possession. When we're talking about Christ, and we're talking about His heritage or His inheritance, it, it's far beyond just a land over there called Israel. Not only that, but in First Peter 1, 4, He says this, speaking of us, even today, He says, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, It's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you. Church, do you realize that now? Here's the thing. Um, We look at these things, we've got an inheritance, right? What is our inheritance? You ever thought about that? I mean, we got this inheritance. Is it just a secret? Well, look at this. I mean, I wrote these things down, but I may read a little bit more. 
In Ephesians 1.11, he says this. He says, In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So it's in Christ that we have this inheritance. Now, if you look over in chapter 2 of Ephesians, look in, uh, look in verse 12, and he's speaking here of Gentiles. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Now, he's talking about prior to Christ's coming. He says, remember that at that time you were you were." separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, as Gentiles, we were separated from Christ. We, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, which would include the land. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. What were those covenants of promise? Well, you have the covenant he made with Abraham, right? That he said, in in your seed I'm going to bless all the earth. And that seed was Christ. And then we have the Davidic covenant. The promise he made with David that he said, From your loins I'm going to bring a seed and he's going to build me a house. As Gentiles... At that time, we were strangers to those. But when Christ came, He tears down the middle wall of perdition. Meaning this, there was God's people, the Jews, there was everybody else. There was a separation between us. We couldn't lay claim to those covenants. We couldn't lay claim to the commonwealth of Israel. We couldn't lay claim to Christ. And therefore, we couldn't claim that the God of Abraham was our God But he says this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. We who were the enemies of God. We who, listen, it wasn't just we're over here being the enemies of God. Like we're wanting to be in, but no, we were God's enemies. If you don't think that's true. If you don't think that unbelievers are the enemies of god just listen to them you can go from the nicest most mild-mannered people who don't know christ and you can say something like this hey can i talk to you about jesus they go from a smiling receptive warm facial features to when that name of jesus comes out of your mouth there is a look and you can see the visual transformation happen. And if you actually do it, you can hear the verbal transition happen. I have experienced that. You can go from the mild manner to those who vehemently, they despise, they hate God, they hate Jesus Christ. It's not just that we were His enemies. We, made our, we were God-haters. And he's made peace, who has, broke, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
And I want to get on down here and listen to this. He says, For through him, in verse 18, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, speaking primarily to Gentiles here, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's who, if you are in Christ today, that is who you are. And we want to get back to answering the question, well, what actually is our inheritance? So what is it that we have inherited? Well, let me just show you. He says this. He says in Romans eight sixteen. he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You want to know what you've inherited? Christ and everything that Christ is. That is your inheritance. And in church, when we look at these things, when we're reading this psalm, my goodness, when I'm, when I'm looking at the, uh, the words to that, that song, Jesus, thank you. Want your enemies. Now we're seated at your table. Where do we get that line from? Anybody ever heard of the young man named Mephibosheth? It goes back to covenant promises. David and Jonathan had made a covenant. Mephibosheth was David's offspring. He was a baby when Saul was killed. They were fleeing the, the, Saul's house. The, the, the nurse drops the baby. He's crippled when he fell. He's in hiding because when one king comes over, he's going to kill all the descendants of the other king because there's always going to be a revolt as long as somebody's alive. And David comes to himself one day and he says, Hey, I've made a covenant with Jonathan. He didn't really say that like that. But he's thinking, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I could show kindness to? And then, you know, somebody's trying to be good. Hey, there's this guy Mephibosheth. He's a crippled dude. He says, Bring him to me. Can you imagine Mephibosheth coming before King David? He's not excited. He's scared. And he says, What does the king what would the king want with a dead dog like me? What, what could a crippled guy do for the king? Could he go fight for him? Could he benefit him? And David says, Mephibosheth, from now on, you will sit at my table as one of my sons. Once his enemy, now seated at his table. Wow. Verse 5. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Now. There's some images that come to mind. You read the commentaries, and isn't it funny about commentaries? Everybody's got comments, don't they? Remember Alistair Begg reading a passage that he'd really wrestled with, and there was two guys he just thought very highly of, 
And he read one guy's commentary, and he goes, yes, there's no other way that this could be any other thing after reading that. He reads his other favorite guy, and the guy says, there's no possible way it can be that, but it is this. So he said, I'm left with, I really don't know. Well, I don't really know what they're looking at. Now, it's possible when it talks about God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet, there might be images of going up on Mount Sinai and you, the thunders and the lightnings and the flashings and all of these things. They're up on the Mount Sinai. They're up there and the law is coming down. The Lord Most High has given His law. There might be images of when the ark, when, the, when there was a war that had taken place and the children of Israel, they weren't serving the Lord, but they had their mind made up that as long as the ark is with us, this, this physical object will win. They go down and they fight a battle, they lose, and the Philistines just take the ark too. And then through a series of events, the Philistines want to get rid of the ark. They get rid of the ark. It's not doing them any good. And so David, finally, when he comes to be king, he's like, look, we need to bring the ark back home. And so initially they go to take it, and they don't carry the ark the way God has instructed them to carry it. A man dies. David's upset. He don't know what's going Basically, what ends up happening, they find out how they're supposed to carry the ark, how God had prescribed to do that. So what happens is they go to Obed-Edom's house, who is being blessed abundantly because the ark is on his property. And David goes down, and they carry the ark back to Jerusalem. And there is singing, and there is shouting. And any time when you're reading in the New Testament, and Jesus is in Galilee, and it says, we need to go up to Jerusalem... See, the way we, we do things in America is like if we're going north, north is up. South is down, right? Well, when you look, when they would be in Galilee, it was north of Jerusalem. But they would say they're going up. And we're like, what? It was talking about elevation. Galilee was lower sea level than Jerusalem. So they would be going up to Jerusalem. And so there's images that the ark is, is God is going up. And if you're reading in a New American Standard or probably King, no, I don't know about the others, but it talks about God has ascended up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Now, when we're talking about the church, though, when we're talking about now, I think this, this psalm is not only for them, but I think it was prophetic. I think you're probably gathering that just from the way we've been going about this. But if you would, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. He's talking about having unity in the body of Christ. And he gets down to like verse 4 and he says, There's one body and there's one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. And then he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. <coughs> and he says that, and then he says, Therefore, it's, it says, <coughs> When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, when he's talking about this ascension, he's talking about the time from the resurrection to the 
Mount of Olivet where he ascends back to the Father. And there was a 40-day period there. And, that, and it started with the resurrection. And so when we go back and, and we look at the Psalms and we're talking about the Lord has descended up with a shout and with the, the sound of a trump and, and all these things, folks, listen to me. When Jesus ascended, it wasn't a figuratively thing. It was a literal thing. He literally came forth from the grave. He ascended. There, there, this is probably the greatest part of what we're dealing with in this psalm right here. And it, there was this 40-day period where Jesus, the Lord Most High, is speaking with His disciples. He is fellowshipping with them. He is instructing them. He is actually even having meals with them. And then they come to this mount. He goes out, and they're all gathered around. And while they're standing in the presence of angels, Jesus starts ascending up to heaven and everyone is staring up, and the angels look at him. They said, "Why are you standing? Why are you looking up into the heavens? This same Jesus that's going up, he's going to return again in like manner. His ascension was real; it was literal, and it was something far beyond Moses going up to the mount. It was something far beyond the Ark of God coming back to Jerusalem." And then it says this, it says, He led a, a host of captives. I'm in Ephesians still. He led a, a, a host of captives. Verse 8. You need to understand that when this is talking, this language here is talking about coming from war. It is a picture of going to battle and conquering the enemy, okay? And when this would happen, the conquering king would lead back. It would be a procession coming back, and they were going to publicly display their enemies. They would bring those leaders, those generals, those commanders, all those. They would bring them bound in chains, showing the victory, showing they have conquered, they have defeated their enemy, now, here, the enemy that was conquered was the world. It was death. It was sin. And it was Satan. Christ publicly displayed victory over them by his resurrection and his ascension. When Christ came forth from the grave, that was publicly declaring that in one place Jesus says, I've overcome the world. He'd over, he Everything that would try to thwart God's plan, he had overcame that. Then he had overcame sin and death. When he came from the grave, it was a public shouting out, I, I have won, I have conquered. He triumphed over sin and Satan and death and the grave. How did he do that? Because he's the Lord Most High. There is no one above him. 
this was a common uh this was common in Rome that they would do this. They would bring their captives and they would lead them and parade them through. It was a humiliation. But not only did he conquer these things, but he also led captive a host of captives. In Israel, another feature of this victory parade would be the display of the king's own soldiers. Now listen to this. The king's own soldiers who had been freed after being held prisoner by the enemy. Okay? And they were referred to as recaptured captives. Prisoners who had been taken prisoner again, so to speak, by their own king and then given freedom. This kind of gets interesting. He led captive a host of captives. We were the enemy, but we were also God's chosen. We were God's beloved in the beloved. When Jesus went to the cross and he conquered death, he conquered sin, he conquered the grave, he came forth, he was able to free those who were taken prisoner, which we were part of those. And he led us. Isn't it amazing? He recaptured us. He's taking us. He's bringing us to the Father. Church, this is why I hope someday it resonates in us that he says, Clap all you peoples. Shout with might the joy of the Lord. With everything in us. We weren't just these poor, pitiful captives over there. Oh, we just wanted to be with the king. No, we were working with the enemy. We were blinded. We were deceived. And we hated him. And in spite of all of us, and all of that that was within us, our great king, the Lord Most High, he went to the cross. He conquered all of those enemies he put in them to an open display, an open shame. He publicly declared that he is the king of kings. And in that, this procession he's bringing in, he's bringing in all of those who had put faith in him from a long time ago. And he did it back then, and he's doing it today. Wouldn't it be amazing? I mean, I know if I was to ask people today, man, how many of you guys hate Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton? I'd be like... Y'all give a shout of, yeah, right? You know, for most of you. Wouldn't it be awesome? Can, wouldn't it be incredible to see the Lord Most High just crush Hillary Clinton? Now, I'm not talking the way you're thinking right now, but crush her. And she walk in this church and say, I want to give my testimony I was the enemy of God. I hated Jesus Christ. Oh, I would say I was one of them, but I really hated it. I was for everything that God was. I was against everything that God was for. Wouldn't that be incredible? And I hope you would really want that. Because she's lost. She's just on a lot bigger platform where we can see how evil it is. But she's lost. 
and hope to God that somebody gets within arm's reach to share the gospel in a Christ-like way with her someday. That would be amazing. That'd be amazing. So he's taken, led a host of captives. He's led captive a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. Primarily, to every believer, he's given the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Christ today, and you've been born again, you've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you. More than that, or to add to that, the Holy Spirit has given gifts to every believer in the body of Christ. Now, I will want to make one thing clear. These gifts can be found in the Scriptures. So if you've got some strange gift that isn't in here, that's not a gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? I'm, I'm sorry, it's just not. He gave gifts unto men. What he's saying is this. When those processions would come in and they would lead these, these hosts, these, these captives, they would lead them in. Often they would throw gifts. They would throw money to the crowd. They would, they was like, look, the spoils of the victory. We've taken them. Here, have some. And they're doing like this. And what has happened is a picture of Christ conquering death and sin and Satan and hell and the grave. And he's come in and then victoriously he takes those enemies. He makes them his own. And he lavishly throws gifts upon his people. Incredible. Incredible. And it goes on down and it says, In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? And not only did he just descend to the earth, but he lowered himself to the point of dying as a, as a, as a thief would die. And he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. In this picture of his ascension, what we see is this. If you remember when Mary came to the tomb and Jesus wasn't there, and then when he spoke to her, I've, I've wanted to see that. I wish somebody could make a movie where that would be so real. She, he, she's explaining her case to him. She's like, he, somebody's taking him and stolen him, and, and we don't know what they've done with him. And Jesus says, Mary. He says, my sheep. He says, I called him by name. And when Jesus said, Mary, she knew that it was the Lord and no doubt she reached out and he says, don't touch me for I have not yet ascended to my father. When Jesus is speaking here about his ascension, when he ascended up, it's a picture somewhat of like the Holy of Holies. He didn't go into the heavens that we see here. And he didn't go into those heavens where the galaxies are. That they did, where Job says it's just stretching out like a curtain. He went beyond all of that. He went into the Holy of Holies, the true Holy of Holies. And is making intercession for his people. That's what he's doing. Why can he do that? Because he is the Lord Most High. No one else could do that for you. It's only him. I've had people say, do you think he's just like constantly? Lord, Justin's messed up again. You know, Randy's messed up. No. 
No. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. His very presence is, He is the Word. He is presently there, meaning His presence is speaking on our behalf for all eternity. It's incredible. And so we go back to Psalm 47. We go back to Psalm 47 and he says this. After hearing that, he says this. He says, sing, he says, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Oh, God, help us. Oh, I hate it when I come to church and I'm tired. My mind's somewhere else and... You know, and we're, we're, we're slow gathering around. We're slow getting here. Today was one of those days. We're frustrated. We're blame shifting. And then the worship starts. Crown him with many crowns. I don't know about you, but was you in about the third line before you started paying attention to any of the words? Because that's about where I was. And I was like, hey, there seems to be something to this song. It's, I'm so thankful that our God, he knows our frame. He knows how fragile we are. We don't have a high priest that can't relate to us. We have one that he knows our weaknesses. He knows how fragile we are. And whereas if it was us in his place, we would be smashing people down with our thumbs, terminating them. But thank God that he is so kind. He is so patient. He is so long-suffering. He is so, so good to us. He doesn't love you because of anything you've done or ever going to do. He loves you in spite of you. I have struggled with our little guy here. I couldn't tell you how many times I've said, there is just something wrong with this guy. I am so frustrated. It's amazing how great God has given us children. It's an incredible teacher. To anybody that's ever been a parent, it's incredible how your children will teach you, and he'll do it through your speaking. Just Wait. I told you this over and over and over. And man, you're ready to just bring down the lightning, right? And then all of a sudden you're thinking about, I've done this over and over and over, and I sure want God to be long-suffering with me. When I say, there's got to be something wrong with this, and I can hear it echoing the Lord saying, there's got to be something wrong with this one. Talking about me. But I don't think God's like me. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises for God is the King of all the earth. It is incredible that he prophesies about a man, a king that's going to come, who's not even alive at this time, named Cyrus. And he says, he's my servant, and he's gonna, I'm going to use him to rebuild my temple. When he comes along, he says, hey, I got this idea. I'm going to rebuild the temple of these captives that we have. I'm going to fund it. I'm going to pay for it. 
You don't think God's in control? You don't think he's king of all the earth? There's a lot of bullies around. I've been reading a book. We got it in our... If you got it in your men's little sack of gifts at the Reformation Day, it's a good read, man. Um, can't think of the name of it, but... Hmm? Nope. Not that one. I got the other one. I heard that's good, too. But this guy talks about Satan being a bully. And he said he's like, if you're in a restaurant and a rhino comes in, he's got a lot of strength and he's tearing things up, but he really has no authority there. Governments, people in leadership, people in power, all these things, they're there because God has placed them there. There is a reason the children of God should not fear. You know why? Because our God is sovereign. He is the Lord Most High. He rules over these terrible rulers. They're only allowed to do what he's allowing them to do. No Christian should ever be fearful of what's going to come. What you're really afraid of is not what's about to come. We're really afraid we're going to lose all our comforts. We're not going to be able to be lazy no more. All of these types of things. Make America great again? Which one are we talking about? America's had a lot of different cultural changes. What I may be referring to may not be what they're referring to. How about America glorify Christ? The way he should be. God is king of all the earth. Had a question asked in a Bible study one time. A man asked and he says, whose king is Jesus? And my wife raised her hand and she said, he's my king. And he said, no, whose king is he really? And he was wanting us us to all answer, he's Israel's king. And she said, he's my king. I want you to know he is king of all the earth. He is the king of kings. He is my king. Sing with praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nation. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God, for he is highly exalted. I find it interesting when he says the princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. I think it's probably deliberately written that way. You see, the covenant that was made to Abraham was, he said, your descendants will be innumerable. He said, if you can count the stars, then you can count your descendants. If you can count the sands on the sea, then you can count your descendants. And he says, it's going to be in your seed that I'm going to bless all nations. Abraham was a child of God by faith. His people are just like Abraham. Our righteousness is imputed to us Because we had faith. And that faith was a gift given to us by our God. Church, today, what I want you to know as we conclude this series on this, or at least I conclude this part. In these verses 6 through 9, we are to sing praises. We are to extol, to worship, to praise, to adore 
our God, Yahweh Elyon, the Lord Most High. For listen, for he is Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. The armies of heavens belong to him. He is Yahweh Jireh. The Lord will provide. He is the one who provided the sacrifice that we needed that we could be at peace with God. He is Yahweh Nissi. The Lord is our standard, our banner. He is the one. That is the name that we go forth in. You know what? I don't like to do humanitarian works, even though they're good. When people are saying, hey, we're going to here helping this. We're going to go help the tornado victims. Well, who are you? Well, we're the Masons. or we're the... I don't want to go do it in that name. When I go do something, I only want to do it in the name of Christ. I don't want the glory. I want him to be glorified in the efforts that we do. He is Yahweh Kodesh. The Lord, our sanctifier, he is the one who has set us apart and made us holy. He is Yahweh Rohi, the Lord, our shepherd. He is the one who cares for us, who feeds us, who everything. He is our protector, our provider. He is the Lord, our shepherd. He is Yahweh Rapha, the Lord, our healer. He is the one who heals us from the sting of sin. He is the one who has made us whole in Christ. Do not take that passage out of context where by his stripes we are healed. That is not talking about everybody's supposed to be physically healed, folks. Even people who are physically healed by the miracle of the Lord are still dying and they're going to die. Okay? Just a misunderstanding of that passage all the way around. He is our Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace. We just read, Christ himself is our peace. He, may, he substituted himself on our behalf that God's wrath was satisfied in him on our behalf. We are at peace with him. Yahweh Shammah, the Lord is here. The times that you feel like there's nobody around, he says, I will be with you always. God is present he is not a god that is far off but he is a god that is close up and personal with his people he is yahweh said canoe the lord our righteousness no one will enter into his presence there will be no sin no blemish how in the world we're we ever going to make it because god has imputed the righteousness of our most high god our lord and savior to us positionally you are righteous God is working on you in the sanctification part. And he is Yahweh Elyon. He is the Lord Most High. Y'all ready to come?